0: This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to tune in today. Hey, joining me once again on today's program is returning guest, Mr. John Williams. Uh, John is an economist that tracks economic data using the methods that the government used to use, uh, but have been changed over the years, or you might say manipulated over the years to make the reported data look better. So I'll be talking to John and we'll talk to him about the real inflation rate uh, in segments two and three of today's program. Today, however, uh, in this segment, I want to talk about stocks. Many of you have stocks as part of your IRA or 401k. And let me begin this segment by saying that I believe stocks are more extended both looking at, it, at stocks from a fundamental perspective and a technical perspective than I have seen them ever. The Buffett indicator, which we have talked about previously on this program, measures the total value of the stock market and compares the value of the stock market to the total economic output of the United States. By that measure, stocks are extremely overvalued. Technically speaking, I come to the same conclusion. So in this segment, I want to talk a bit about what are the pins, the potential pins, that could pop this bubble. You know, if you go back to the financial crisis, uh, 2007-2008, it was the subprime mortgage market and the failure of uh, certain banks participating in the derivatives market to meet their obligations that was the pin that popped the bubble. Now, it's my strong conviction that we are going to see another correction at some point here in the relatively near future. And the question is, what is the pin that might pop the bubble this time? Well, in this segment, I want to briefly look at three that I think we should keep an eye on. And if you have not yet gotten a copy, by the way, of the revenue sourcing book that I wrote and released last year, Uh, You can get a complimentary copy by visiting the website, myrevenuesourcingbook.com. The book contains strategies for you to consider to protect yourself from a stock market bubble bursting. Again, the website, myrevenuesourcingbook.com. And if you just let me know where to send that book, I'd be glad to send you a complimentary copy. Now, many of you know that there are a number of states that have said no to the federal government's enhanced unemployment benefits. Now, there are still more than half of the states that are participating and will be continuing to take the extra money from the federal government to add to unemployment uh, insurance recipients' uh, benefits in their states. However, that will expire, ironically, on Labor Day. Now, at that point, the extra $300 a week that those who are receiving unemployment benefits have been getting will go away. So if you do some simple math, that's about 14 dollars or $15,000 a year that will be taken away from the incomes of many, many Americans. Now that could certainly be one of the pins that pops the bubble. The other Thing happening about the very same time, and this is kind of flown under the radar, is that there has been a moratorium on student loan payments. Now, that moratorium is set to expire October 1, just a few weeks after the enhanced unemployment benefits will expire. Now, Bloomberg said There's an unwelcome side of the return of business as usual after the pandemic. They'll have to start repaying their student loans again. More than 40 million holders of student loans are due to start making monthly installments again on October 1. Now, these 40 million holders of student debt are responsible for payments of $7 billion a month. Now, just think about that for a minute. There's $7 billion a month that will be taken away from the discretionary spending of those that have student debt. Now, that will certainly be a drag on the economy moving ahead. And the problem is that these loans weren't in great shape when the moratorium started. There's $1.7 trillion of student loan debt that exists presently, and about a third of that debt is unpaid. So a third of $1.7 trillion is over $500 billion. And if you take a look at the subprime mortgage problem that really helped pop the stock market bubble back in 2007, 2008, it was about the same size at $535 billion. So we have another looming issue here that's about the same size and could be the pin that pops the bubble. And if some of these student loan holders have been collecting enhanced unemployment benefits, which many likely have, it creates an even bigger problem since a lot of the jobs that have been created have not been high-paying jobs. They have been created in largely the hospitality sector. So we have the enhanced federal unemployment benefits set to go away. We have student loans requirement, uh, the student loan payment requirement set to begin again on October 1. And at the end of this month, the eviction moratorium for renters expires. Now, many of you are not, potentially aware of this, but there has been a federal moratorium on evictions, and that is set to expire at the end of June. There are now 14 percent, according to an article on The Motley Fool, of U.S. renters that still owe their landlords past due rent. So that means there's 10 million Americans at the end of this month that risk being evicted. A rent moratorium does not relieve a tenant of their rent payment responsibilities, it simply defers it. So if you've not made your rent payments for 10 months, you now are required to pay your landlord 10 months of back rent, or you risk being evicted. So what happens when the evictions start at the end of this month? What happens when student loan payments have to start again? What happens when we have to move out of this artificial economy that's been created by all this stimulus, by all this money creation, and we move back to reality? Well, those once we move back into reality, those are some of the pins that I believe could be the pin that pops the stock market bubble. So again, if you've not yet taken action to at least do some research Remember, nobody cares as much about your money as you do. So if you've not yet taken action to do some research, I would invite you to get a copy of the Revenue Sourcing Book, read it, understand some of the strategies that you might consider for your situation, and make your own decision. And the good news is I am happy to send you a copy of the Revenue Sourcing Book absolutely free. All you need to do is go to the website, myrevenuesourcingbook.com, and I'll be glad to send you a copy. The website, again, myrevenuesourcingbook.com, and we'll be glad to get you a copy out. No cost, no further obligation. It's just uh, our way of getting the message out. And if you're not yet using the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates app, I would invite you to go to the App Store on your phone, search under your R-L-A, that's Y-O-U-R-R-L-A, and uh, you'll find the app. You can download the app for free and get access to many of our additional free resources as well. I'll be back after these words with John Williams. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Joining me on today's program once again is economist John Williams. If you're not familiar with John's work, I would encourage you to check out his website, Shadow Government Statistics. Uh, The web address is shadowstats.com. The web address, again, is shadowstats.com. And uh, John is one of the hardest-working economists, I think, on the planet. And, John, welcome back to the program.
1: Uh, Dennis, thank you so much for having me.
0: I should point out to the listeners that things are evolving quickly, and I'm recording this conversation with John on the 8th, a few days before this will air initially, so uh, keep that in mind. And, and John, you were really one of the earliest voices calling for a hyperinflationary outcome, and uh, we've chatted in the past, and I think that was 15 years ago or so. And uh, now it appears that we may be on track for that very outcome from, from the data. Do you want to give the listeners an update?
1: Uh, Sure, Um, we have an unusual circumstance here with the pandemic, which uh, obviously uh, collapsed the economy uh, back in uh, March of last year in 2020. Um, And in response to an extraordinary financial circumstance, the uh, the the Fed entered into an uh, extreme creation of the money supply, trying to provide the system with liquidity. At present, now, and if you look at the most liquid measures of the money supply, which what I look at is the uh, uh, basically the uh, what used to be the original uh, M1, the narrowest measure, uh, which is cash and checking deposits, uh, you're looking uh, at something that's 75 percent higher than it was with the with a, a pre-pandemic uh, uh, trough in the money supply back in February of 2020. I use a pre-pandemic trough because we've passed the first anniversary here. And if uh, we had such extreme movements after after that, you look at a year-to-year change, you can get something misleading on either the economy or the inflation or interest rates. But if you look at where you were pre-pandemic, which is February and where we are today, uh, the narrowest measure of the money supply is up 75%, which is unprecedented. And it's, it's increasing. Um, and this was... Uh, When you see uh, money supply growth like that, you would normally expect inflation. And uh, people tell you, although you want to have uh, strong inflation, what you really need is uh, uh, a high velocity of uh, uh, of of, 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 uh, money growth against the uh, a strong strong economy. Um, the, the faster the money supply turns over in the economy, take the ratio of the GDP to the to the money supply, uh, supposedly that will give you higher inflation, and it will, along with a stronger economy. That's a basic monetary theory. But that generally doesn't give you hyperinflation. If you look at hyperinflation, such as you had in the Weimar Republic of Germany or Zimbabwe, those are not in strong economies. In fact, we're looking at weak economies, and we have had here a collapsed economy, Along with this extraordinary money growth, and uh, that that tends to spike inflation and can give you hyperinflation because you have, you, you don't have as strong an economy as you like, but you have a lot of cash and the cash is circulating trying to buy up in shortages and such. And uh, we're seeing uh, we're getting uh, anecdotal evidence from all sorts of clients. Uh, uh, or in the chemical industry or the construction industry, they're seeing extraordinary inflation and, and, and their costs that they're getting passed along to the people they sell to who in turn need to keep passing it along to the public. And none of these people are having any trouble passing along the price hike. So So we already know there's so much higher inflation in the uh, pipeline. Now, you look at the consumer price index, which uh, is, is really understated against people's expectations, but on a consistent basis. With the way it's been reported, uh, last month uh, it was up. Uh, uh, see, this is we'll, we'll, this is uh, for April. You'll have uh, May's numbers out. Uh, I gather by the time we we go we go to air here uh, the. Um, Month-to-month uh, inflation last month in April was about eight-tenths of a percent. Expert, expectations uh, for May will be in the range of four to five percent. But if you look at that on a year-over-year basis, um, that was, uh, uh, let's say, three, four percent in April, but that's going to be up around eight percent in May. You haven't seen inflation like that since uh, uh, the, the early 1980s.
0: Uh, John John can go. I jump in there just a second because sure. it's interesting that um you you mentioned the early 1980s because it was I believe at that point that to subdue inflation uh then Federal Reserve chair Paul Volcker Paul Volker, rather raised interest rates to uh very high levels and now the Fed seems to be pursuing exactly the opposite response they're putting the pedal to the metal and creating more currency so Um, You know, that difference in in approach, given the same situation, um, what is your forecast for, just say, year-end?
1: Year-end? Oh, boy. Um, That's uh, – things are unstable. And it's very difficult to forecast where where things are going to be going because they're not quite where people think they are. And I think it's going to be a lot worse than people are looking at in general terms. I, th- uh, I think we're at risk um, coming into next year, maybe before then, of seeing something um, along the lines of a hyperinflationary economic collapse. These are not un- these are not usual times. We're not close to hyperinflation yet, but the Fed's pumping money supply in the way that would normally give it to, you, and still it's, it's still picking up. There's some talk that maybe they're going to cut back, but they they, they can't afford to. They, they're trying to keep the system afloat. Uh, it's a, it's a devil's choice. Um, but the risk here is a uh, very high inflation. And, um, uh, that is, uh, when, when Volker tightened up, he didn't have a, an economy that had, uh, been, been, been through an economic collapse. He, we had some difficult times there, but the, uh, uh, what, what you've seen with the, uh, the, the headline GDP, um, uh, you dropped, uh, it's a record drop, I don't know, 30%, 40% uh, uh, annualized growth in uh, uh, the second or third quarter, I guess, third quarter of uh, last year. Uh, ne- never seen anything like that. And now we're beginning to, to get back. But the, um, what we're finding, if you look at the, the headline numbers, that the, the, the collapse, the pandemic-driven collapse, was actually deeper. Uh, than has been estimated by the government. They've never had particularly good numbers on it because it's difficult to survey people. And the recovery uh, has not been as strong. Uh, Where you can see that right now, uh, there are major economic series that go through annual benchmark revisions. They go back and correct them for misreportings of the past. Well, we just had downside revisions to industrial production. Put out by the Federal Reserve. And uh, there you have levels were knocked down by five percentage points um, from where they were before the benchmark revision. Um, so that the the depths of the collapse were five percent below where they were before. But what the what the production curve shows now, uh, which is uh, that's something I've been talking about for a long time, but we didn't see it before because the Fed missed. Uh, two years of benchmark revisions before the budget shut down, and um, it's uh, they just didn't get around to it the next year. But the difference is that where you, you had a peak, a peak economic, you had a peak economic activity coming into uh, the uh, the pandemic um, in, 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 into the early part of um, uh, of, of two thousand. What the uh, production numbers show now is that um, actually the economy started to slow down in um, uh, 2018, 2019. there's a peak there, so that the economy was actually slowing coming into the pandemic. And then you're hit with a pandemic that just collapsed things, so that the pandemic collapse is actually a little deeper than has been previously estimated. And it's got a wise, way still to fully recover, because um, we're coming off a deeper uh, a, a deeper bottom. It's it's a, There's still difficult times ahead. A very challenging time for uh, the Federal Reserve and for the uh, federal government in terms of uh, appropriate monetary and, and, and fiscal policy. Um, but nobody's been through anything quite like this before. They're doing their best.
0: So, John, is there any way, in your view, is there any course of action the Fed could take, that policymakers make- could take, that would at this point in your opinion, avoid a hyperinflationary outcome.
1: Well, the, uh, the Fed, the Fed needs to cut back on its money supply growth. The problem is, in doing that, it is also going, going to tighten up the uh, domestic liquidity, and uh, that can it can give you a, a worse financial collapse than you've had. Again, they're trying to balance things out. Um, it is. Uh, it's it's a, it's a it's a difficult circumstance. I, I think they're going to opt to keep uh, the system liquid and uh, hope to address the uh, inflation issues down the road.
0: Well, and that seems to be what the the policy is. We've got a six trillion dollar budget now being proposed. Uh, I think they're admitting to almost two trillion dollars, one point eight four trillion dollar deficit. Um, that certainly will have to be funded through more money creation. And the, the big news uh, over the last couple of weeks is you now have the Russian National Wealth Fund eliminating uh, dollar assets, and they're they're going through what they call de-dollarization. Um, so, I, I mean, isn't the writing on the wall that, that if they if they continue to spend as they're spending, that the only way to fund that is through money creation?
1: I think that's going to be what they do. Um... Not, not really, not too much in the way of options. Open a very bad circumstance. The, the protection for the individual is to hold some uh, hard assets, physical hard assets, um, and very specifically, I'm talking about physical holdings of gold and silver, um, and just hold it to put it away, hang on to it uh, if the inflation comes. Uh, you'll be able to use that as uh, it will tend to re- retain its, its, its value, its true purchasing power as a, as a store of wealth uh, and, and can provide you with liquidity terms for an extremely difficult time. It's also not a bad idea if uh, it looks like it's moving in that direction towards a hyperinflation to stock up on other things like um, canned goods and such. Um, I, I talked with people who uh, went, uh, lived through the Weimar Republic um, who, who did, and the, their children who uh, did, and uh, one thing was uh, uh, that that acted as a a, a good uh, barter exchange item was um, was canned food. And one fellow told me how his father had uh, traded a, um, a shirt for a, a can of. Uh, beans or something and uh, brought the canned food home and rather than trading it for something else, decided to uh, have it for the family dinner. and they they opened it up and the the the, the canned beans had gone bad. Um, so even though it had taken on something of the monetary value, there's no guarantee in terms of what you get there. but the the point is that the the, the economy had um, was fu- had gotten to functioning at a barter level. Because the currency itself was worth, worthless, and um, you've got into real hyperinflation here. You may have a barter circumstance in gold and silver; um, they're are very broad uh, fixed assets that will tend to, uh, maintain their value over time. They have for millennia. Uh, you can still buy the same amount of uh, bread for uh, for uh, use the same amount of gold to buy bread today as you did in ancient Rome. Um, but it's uh, getting down to practical things like groceries and such. You need some lower denomination stuff, which stuff, which is why yes, silver um, bags of silver coins and such. You don't need anything that's got a great numismatic value, but basically the the the, uh, the precious metal value is the uh, uh, is a key item there, and the silver helps you with the smaller the smaller items, uh, where gold would help you with the, the larger items.
0: Well, John, we're coming up on a, on a break here. We're going to have to leave it there. Uh, our guest today is Mr. John Williams. His website is shadowstats.com. I would encourage you to check out John's work there. Again, the website is shadowstats.com. I'll be back after these words and continue my conversation with Mr. John Williams. I am Dennis Tuberg and you're listening to RLA Radio. My guest today is Mr. John Williams. Uh, John has, uh, the website shadowstats.com. It's, uh, actually shadow government statistics, but the website is shadowstats.com. Um, and, and John, I, I think the story about, um, what you do at shadowstats is, uh, worthy of explaining it to the listeners. For those that may not be familiar with your work, I don't think anybody uh, would argue with the fact that a lot of the economic data that's reported by the government isn't very accurate, uh, which might be a good segue into explaining what your work is all about.
1: Sure. Um, Well, I'm an economist by trade. I I used to uh, import uh, chainsaws from West Germany as a family business, um, but I was trained as an economist and we, because of the dollar, got out of out of that uh, out of the saw business, and I started my own economic forecasting firm. The way many people did, I built econometric models to try and predict how the economy was going, where it would be going. But in order to predict things, you have to you have to have leading indicators. And uh, if you've got good leading indicators, then there's a certain period of time that you can forecast based on those. The, uh, what I found was that my competition basically was using these models to predict out for a couple of years, but they had no underlying basis that had that kind of a lead time. So the, the forecasts were really no better than the standard guesses that people made. And uh, as I got into the numbers, I got to know the numbers very well and the people who produced them in Washington. And um, I, I developed a series of models that would predict the economy out for um, – yeah, 6 to 9 months was which is about as far as you can go with with the headline numbers and uh that was working pretty well and then uh, all of a sudden the government started to change the way it was reporting its numbers key item the in inflation consumer price index um, the uh what 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 happened there and I again I've been around uh, I'm talking early 80s that I was involved in and things here, but uh, looking at things even back in the back in the '70s, when Nixon abandoned the gold standard, up to that point in time, gold and U.S. inflation generally moved together, um, and gold was effectively tied to the dollar. And um, you know, there's always variation, but things were reasonably stable. Nixon abandoned the dollar, and um, as that happened you began to see that inflation uh, began creeping higher um, and gold prices actually started moving higher as well. Gold tends to follow actually lead inflation Uh, but by the time it got into the early 80s, inflation uh, was higher than it had been in some time and uh, it made some of the politicians uncomfortable because uh, they had cost of living adjustments in terms of uh, uh, what needed to be paid on social security and such and um, because of higher inflation, you had higher cost of living adjustments. Uh, so they, uh, rather than treat things honestly and just pay, pay, pay people higher amounts with the higher cost of living, they decided to change the way they calculate the CPI. First thing they did was uh, – first big change was uh, uh, to change the way um, – uh, housing is is reflected in the consumer price index the way it was reflected used to part of, part of the cost there included uh, the cost of buying a new home because there are some people who would in the regular process of things should be buying a, a new home and they they just eliminated that and um, replaced the replaced it with the uh, concept of what they called homeowners equivalent rent the government would determine, what a, what the average homeowner would um, uh, rent his house to himself for, and then uh, would figure out each month how much the average um, homeowner would increase the rent to himself each month, and that became that the, the measure there, which was completely bogus, it was just <laughs> an imaginary number, but the effect was it knocked uh, roughly one and a half percentage points off the year to year change in the CPI. Now, where last year we had a CPI that was up one and a half percent officially, you could add back on one and a half percent, make that three percent, just because of that one change. But this went on for years, and they made it changed a number of things. Uh, aggregate differentials about seven percentage points, so that when they were where they're looking at, uh, I don't know I think maybe the, maybe uh, I'm guessing at this. Memory uh, memory's not as good as it should be, but I think the cost of living index for last year was maybe 1.9%, somewhere between 1.5%, 1.9%. My estimate was up um, uh, around 9%. That, that Had they left all those, the inflation numbers in place and, and uh, not played games with them, that that's what you would have seen. So the average guy says, well, you know, uh, I'm, I'm getting my cost of living adjustment here, but I'm not making ends meet. There's, there, there, there's a reason. So I, I publish alternative measures of, um, of inflation Um, unemployment, Uh, unemployment as it used to be measured, broad measure, um, which included discouraged workers. When I'm talking talking about discouraged workers. These are people who would like to work but cannot find a job. And the the discouraged workers that are counted in today's numbers are only for people who have been discouraged for less than a year. If they've been discouraged for more than a year, they're not counted by the government although they used to be, and effectively long-term discouraged workers, and that was in the broadest measure. So that instead of looking at the numbers today that are uh, you know, 6 7%, uh, you're up around 22%, 23%, the way it used to be measured in the broadest measure. So the economy is weaker, inflation is stronger, and uh, you get into the economic statistics like the GDP, uh, that's... That's, that's not a good number in terms of quality. Uh, one uh, benefit from the government standpoint of using understated inflation is that most of the uh, statistics, um, the government statistics like retail sales, although they get published as nominal terms before inflation adjustment, people like to look at them net of, net of inflation. If you take a government statistic and you deflate it by inflation, put it in real terms, um, the higher, um, the 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 higher the uh, uh, inflation, the weaker the growth will appear. Correspondingly, the weaker inflation, the stronger the growth appears. And uh, so, what you've seen with the GDP is they 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 have what they call the implicit price deflator, and that keeps getting massaged over time, and it's understated um, by a couple of percentage points, so that the um, what, what what I contend is that we look at the real GDP growth since they've been playing the the, the numbers here. The economy really has not grown much. Uh, if you get uh, two three percent GDP growth, which has been sort of the average, and they're overstating that inflation by let's say two percent, um, you can you can subtract two percent from that number, and you're down to basically an economy that's. Uh, uh, not, not, not been booming as the average guy has seen it, which is you, you've seen uh, uh, sentiment surveys and things like that that tend to confirm that. So that I, I can tell you that the in, ter- in terms of uh, underlying reality, uh, your common experience is is uh, is probably the best guide. Um, if if you think the uh, inflation's higher than the government's reporting. Or that uh, you're experiencing higher inflation than the government's reporting, you're right on the mark. If you think more people are unemployed than the government's reporting, yep, you got it. And if you think the uh, GDP is, uh, I mean, this last year's just been real crazy with the pandemic disruptions, but if you think the GDP generally is uh, booming along at a rate that you don't see locally, uh, you, you've got a pretty good sense of things.
0: So, John, we've got just a couple minutes. Just a couple of minutes left here. So essentially what, what you're saying is we've got a contracting economy, we've got rising inflation, and we've got super high unemployment. It seems to me that even a hyperinflationary event would, would have to be followed by some type of a, a deflationary or, or, or a collapse or reset. Is, is, that, is that how you see things?
1: Well, hyperinflation by a, almost by definition will give you a, a collapse and reset. Because the currency becomes worthless, the paper currency. When you um, in Zimbabwe, and uh, the, the, Zimbabwe is an interesting circumstance because they probably had the highest hyperinflation anyone's ever seen. They got to the point of uh, printing um, hundred trillion dollar notes. If we had the inflation that they had, uh, the U.S. could pay off its uh, all its debts for less than a penny. <coughs> what enabled them to? Let it get so far out of control was they had a black market in US dollars. So that as soon as you got your Zimbabwe dollar, you went to the black market and you exchanged it for dollars. And so they really con- continued functioning with the US dollar. But in the process, you know, it just the inflation got higher and higher and out of control. It got so bad well, with those notes. Uh, there was a, a border station with South Africa. Um, and there's a restroom there, and somebody took a famous sign that indicated that they only wanted people to throw uh, to use toilet paper and no newspapers and no no Zimbabwe dollars.
0: <laughs>
1: that's that's where you can uh, that's where you can go here. And it's uh, uh, when we but but I I think we 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 don't get as far as Zimbabwe did, but we will get to a point where effectively the dollars we know it is worthless, and then you have to have a reset. Um, and you have to have a, a, a reorganization of the currency, the economy. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not. Uh, this is not a uh, circumstance that evolves into a happy solution. It has to. It, it, there, there has to be some kind of a reset.
0: Well, my guest today is Mr. John Williams. His website is shadowstats.com. The website, again, is shadowstats.com. I'd encourage you to check out his work. Uh, I look at his work uh, all the time. would encourage you to do the same. John, always a pleasure to have you on the program, and thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you again for having me, Dennis.
0: We'll return after these words. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen, and thanks again to my special guest, Mr. John Williams of ShadowStats, for joining me today. You know, if you're just joining me, uh, this month I'm making available on a complimentary basis a copy of my best-selling book from last year titled Revenue Sourcing. If you'd like to get a complimentary copy, all you have to do is go to the website myrevenuesourcingbook.com Uh, The Revenue Sourcing book is a retirement planning strategy for the post-pandemic economy, and uh, we've been talking today a lot about inflation, and there are some strategies in that book for you to consider to help you protect yourself and your portfolio and your retirement dreams uh, against the threat of inflation, because as we'll talk about in this segment and as I talked about in the last segment with uh, Mr. John Williams, uh, inflation is certainly here. Now, Janet Yellen, who is the Treasury Secretary, maybe some of you saw this, contradicted the recently released budget. So just in case this is a new story to you, a couple weeks ago when Biden released his $6 trillion budget, it was noted in the budget that the projected inflation rate for 2021 and 2022 was 2.1%. Now, for those of you that have been to the grocery store or the lumber company or been out shopping for a used car, it's hard to believe that 2.1% is even close to reality. Well, last weekend, when Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, uh, addressed the press after the G7 meeting in London, she contradicted the Biden budget, stating that inflation could climb as high as 3% this year. So, almost a 50% increase in the official reported inflation rate, which, as we talked about with John Williams in the last segment, is very much manipulated. Uh, So so why is she coming out and saying we could go as high as 3% this year? Well, I'll go back to my prior statement, because we all know that 2.1% is not even close to reality. Now, if you take a look at what's really happening out there, and uh, I have uh, the privilege of working with clients that are in business and I've had recent conversations with a restaurant owner and with a manufacturing company owner, and across the board, wholesale costs are going up. Um, I've seen uh, reports and actual invoices of food costs going up 60 to 100% in the last six months, similar price increases on manufacturing materials. And, of course, whenever... You see inflation at that level, then you have restaurant owners and manufacturers that pass those costs on to consumers. Now, Janet Yellen uh, evidently anticipated that she would be questioned about inflation, so she came out and really followed the old playbook that the best defense is a strong offense. And here's what she said. She said, and yes, she said this, even though inflation is now at the highest level since Paul Volcker raised rates to 20% and the U.S. is about to issue another $3 trillion or so in debt just to fund existing stimulus programs, she said that Joe Biden should push forward with his $4 trillion spending plans even if they trigger inflation that persists into next year and there are higher interest rates. Now get this, and yes, she actually said this, if we end up with slightly higher interest rates, it would actually be a plus for society's point of view and the Fed's point of view. Her actual quote was this, if we ended up with a slightly higher interest rate environment, it would actually be a plus for society's point of view and the Fed's point of view. Now, I don't know how higher inflation and higher interest rates could actually be a plus for anyone listening to this broadcast today, but that's what Ms. Yellen would like us to believe. Now, Yellen did say this at her press conference, and I'm quoting, We're seeing inflation, but I don't believe it's permanent. We, at least on a year-over-year basis, will continue, I believe, through the rest of the year to see higher inflation rates. Yet she hedged her bet. She said, quote, I don't want to say this is mind absolutely made up and closed. We'll watch this very carefully, keep an eye on it, and try to address issues that arise if it turns out to be necessary. She said that personally she believes, quote, this represents transitory factors and that, quote, policy should look past such factors. So what is Ms. Yellen actually saying? She is saying that the Fed should continue to create money to fund government spending despite the fact that we are now seeing inflation. Now the fact that Janet Yellen who incidentally used to be the chair of the Federal Reserve, and Jerome Powell, the current chair of the Federal Reserve, are using the term transitory to describe inflation, I find it to be, in maybe a sadistic sort of way, funny. See, all inflation is transitory or temporary. Because it can't continue forever, at some point you have to see inflation stop because the market will react. Now, the Fed has said that they intend to continue money creation at a rate of about $120 billion per month. And they're not going to cut back until, according to the Fed, there is substantial further progress on inflation and employment. Now, I'm not sure exactly what that means. I don't know how much higher inflation has to go to make the Fed happy. But there is one thing that is apparent to me. We're now at a point where government handouts and weekly unemployment benefits are distorting the picture dramatically and the job market is growing far below expectations. And continuing the same policies will only further distort that picture. Now, Yellen said that she's really not worried because she has the utmost level of confidence in the policymakers. She said, quote, I know that they're very good. I don't believe they're going to screw it up. I am not as confident. Now, if you haven't yet taken steps to explore what I have been talking about for the last 10 years, the two-bucket approach, Uh, I'd like to invite you to get a copy of the Revenue Sourcing book, which talks about uh, how do you protect your retirement nest egg from looming inflation and then ultimately the reset should it occur, as I talked about with John Williams today. You can go to the website, myrevenuesourcingbook.com, and let me know where to mail you a complimentary copy of that book, and I would be glad to do so. The website, again, myrevenuesourcingbook.com. The book is absolutely free, and if uh, you are contemplating retirement, if you're already retired, I believe the information in that book could prove to be extremely valuable to you. Again, the website, myrevenuesourcingbook.com. That's all the time I have for this week. I will be back again next week. Thanks for tuning in.